this morning very deliberately, and I know led of God, I am going to preach on the set of verses that I preached on just a few weeks short of eight years ago. Uh, It was the first sermon that I ever preached here in the pulpit of Calvary Baptist Church. Uh, It was the sermon, the message, the verses that I used uh, on that day that I came and, and preached, and we preached and came in view of a call. I remember very well the excitement of that day. I remember all the things leading into it. I remember the anticipation of that day and really the joy of the expectation of that day. I knew God had a plan for Calvary Baptist Church. I knew God was going to do great and mighty things in and through Calvary Baptist Church. And I knew people were going to find Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior through the ministry of Calvary Baptist Church. And I had a great joy that morning as I came and preached these verses. I think about these eight years, and so much has happened in these years, so much has changed in these years. Sarah on that morning was a little girl, she was seven. I remember she was all dressed up and oh, she was beautiful that morning. Uh, Kale that day was four years old and he did not want to come to this church because he said this church didn't have a steeple. And I remember we pulled in and the first thing I did is got my four-year-old son out and said, look, there's a steeple up here. He looked and he was fine with Calvary Baptist Church. Will was a baby And when I finished preaching, Carrie and I came and we walked out and we we grabbed him out of the nursery and I picked up him, kissed him on the cheek and I held him, went across in the FLC as y'all voted. Of course, eight years ago, I was eight years younger. Uh, I keep being told over and over that my hair is grayer now. At least you've still got hair, that's right. (laughs) On that Sunday morning, my dad was here, and I remember he sat on this side over here, and on that morning as I walked out, I remember he gave me a thumbs up, and I think about the events of that morning. In these eight years, my life and your lives and in our church, many things, much has changed. But I want to return to those verses this morning to remind us from God's own word, to remind us from God's holy word that while a lot of things have changed, some things never change. Our message this morning is entitled just that, Some Things Never Change. And so once again, from eight years ago, our verses today are Acts chapter one, today verses six through eight. Some things Never change. Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. I'm going to ask if you would, if you would stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's Word. It says this. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time that you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in 
all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today, we're thankful for you. We're thankful that you are trustworthy. We're thankful that you're faithful to us across the multitude of years. We're thankful that every single morning you tell us and it proves true, your mercies are new. Mercy on top of mercy. Your grace is shown to us as sinners. I pray today as we come back to these verses, I pray that we would see as, as the currents of life swift us along and move us along as things change, that there are some things that never change. I pray that today we would be instructed. I pray if need be, we would be corrected. I pray that again our eyes would be fixed upon you and your truth. Lord, we love you today. We praise you, we worship you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. What is the mission of the church? Maybe a better way to ask that is why does the church exist? Why does the church exist? Why do we come today? Why do we assemble? Why, why does the church exist? Very specifically today, why does Calvary Baptist Church exist? Why does the church exist? Now let me say this morning as we begin, as we start off, as I look around today as I survey the landscape today, as I look at churches across our nation today, I'm not sure people know. I'm not sure people remember. I'm not sure that, that we haven't forgotten why the church truly exists. More and more, I hear, and maybe you hear it as well, people are talking about what they want in a church. And that seems to be the discussion when you talk about church. They want the church to do this. And they want a church that has these things. And this is what they would like the church to look like. Or, or really this is what they would like the church to provide for them. And people I believe have forgotten today that God and God alone sets the mission, the purpose of the church. We live in an age driven by consumerism. And we come to our church with that same mentality. We want to know, what are you going to give me? And what do you have for this segment or this part of my family? Or what do you have that I'm going to enjoy? And we forget God has established a mission for the church. And so the question is, again, why does the church biblically exist? Why does the church biblically exist? Let me go through some possible answers this morning. Does the church exist to encourage? Does the church exist to encourage? Now in the Bible we find, in the New Testament we find one of the things that the church does is to encourage believers in their Christian walks. And that's a, that's a biblical truth. The church is to be a people that, that puts encouragement into one another. Literally, the giving of courage to one another. That's, that's what the church is to do. God, in his grace, puts us in the church and the, the body of the church is to cheer us. The body of the church is to help us. They are to strengthen us. Sometimes they are to push us along. In the church, we are to be encouraged. Let me tell you, that's a big deal. That's a needed thing. That's a necessary thing. In the church, we are to be encouraged. 
1 Corinthians chapter 12 says, when one of us is honored, then all of us are honored. Tells us when one of us suffers, then we all suffer with that one. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up. Listen, that's a command for us as believers in the church. Encourage one another. Don't tear each other down. Encourage one another and build one another up. Hebrews 10 says, Encourage one another and all the more as the day draws near talking about the day of Jesus is coming again. That's our role in the church. Encourage one another and all the more, increasingly so, as the day draws near. One of the things that the church does is to encourage. But listen, that's not why we exist. What about fellowship? Does the church exist for Christian fellowship. What about fellowship? Now, if you go back through the book of Acts, and if you read across the New Testament letters, you will see that the church was a coming together people. Really, that's what the church is, a, a coming together people. They were a physically coming together people. It starts in Acts chapter one. It says, they were all together and in one place. They were a coming together people. In Acts chapter two, verse 42, it says, they were constantly devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship and the breaking of bread. Verse 44, Acts chapter two, all the believers were together and had all things in common. Verse 46, taking their meals together, they were taking their meals together with gladness. Evidently, let me, let me point this out. Fellowship includes food, evidently. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 10 says, however, let us not forsake the assembling, listen, the assembling together as is the practice of some. Now listen to me this morning. In a hard world, and we live in a hard world, in, in the midst of hard lives, in a time when we're called to stand, and if we actually stand, we're separating ourselves from the world, God knew we would need Christian fellowship. And as we walk through the hard things of life, and as we go through funerals, and we go through sicknesses, and we go through financial troubles, but more than that, when we stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ, he knew we would need Christian fellowship actually physically assembling, being together, eating, laughing, talking, singing, learning, worshiping together, assembled together. I'm gonna tell you this. When you are out of fellowship, and I'm talking about attending and participating in the activities of the church, when you're out of fellowship, when you're not attending and participating in the things of the church, you're out of God's will and you're hurting yourself. In fact, I wanna tell you this, we all suffer. You see, God knew we would need to be a fellowshipping people physically coming together. So fellowship, biblically, it's one of the things that we do, but again, it's not why we exist. 
I'm thankful for Christian fellowship. I'm gonna tell you, we need Christian fellowship. It's one of the things we do as the church, but listen, it's not why we exist. Continuing on, what about prayer? What about prayer? Sometimes we overlook that. Is, is that why we exist as a church? What about prayer? You see, in the New Testament, the church in prayer is a powerful, powerful, powerful thing. And sometimes we, we neglect to see that. We, we ought to read across the book of Acts and see that when the church prays for boldness, you know what, opportunities are presented and they're found bold. Prayer in the church is a powerful thing. In fact, there in the book of Acts and then also in the New Testament letters, the church, in, in fact, is a corporate praying body. In fact, after the resurrection, most of the recorded prayer in the New Testament is the prayer of a group, the prayer of the church. The church, listen, prays together. Our Sunday night focus on prayer came from our staff going through the book of Acts. And we read there about the ministry of the word. We also read about the ministry of prayer and how we need to devote considerate amount of time to spending time in prayer together as a church. Let me tell you, I'll, I'll just go ahead and make it clear to you today, the extent that we as a church will see the power of God, I believe is directly related to the amount of time that we spend together in prayer before God. Dear God, make us a praying people. Dear God, wake us up that to, to we're to be a people that come together and pray. We have to be a praying church. But once again, that is what the church does. It's what the church is to be about, but it's not why we exist. What about this? The church is to uphold, to teach, and to protect the doctrine of the Bible. What about that? The church is to uphold, to teach, and to protect the doctrine of God's word. That role falls on the church. We live in a day today, you look around, we live in a day where there is a pushback against what we call, in fact, what the Bible calls doctrine. And today, people want to talk about all things Christian. My lands, they want to run their mouth and they want to talk about this and this and this. They want to talk about all things Christian. They want to talk about all things religious, but they say they don't want to hear about something as divisive or as legalistic or as judgmental as doctrine. And today, biblical doctrine is falsely portrayed like it is somehow opposed to the message of Jesus. It's falsely portrayed like it's somehow opposed to the message of grace. Or it's somehow presented like it's opposed, it, it stands to, in opposition to the message of love. I heard a person, one time I was visiting some folks and I heard a person say, our church focuses on love, but we don't get all that concerned about doctrine. To me, that's like saying our church focuses on love. We don't get all that upset about the Bible. I didn't say it, but I wanted to say thanks for warning me. Listen, think about this. Here's, here's what Paul tells Titus, and it is a pattern for our pastors today. 
the pastor shall, and here's what it says, be able to both exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. That is the pastor's job. That is part of the call. That is the pastor's job. And the reason it is the pastor's job is because it is the church's role. First Timothy chapter three, verse 15 says, the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth, the pillar upholding the truth, the support guarding the truth, that is what the church is. Be sure, listen to me today, it is the truth that reveals God. It is the truth that convicts of sin. It is the truth and the truth alone that leads to salvation. It is the truth that points to Jesus Christ. And so we as the church, we uphold and we support the truth of God's word and we do it at all cost. The church is the defender of the truth. Nobody else is gonna do it. The church says, thus saith the Lord. This is what God has said. Nobody else is gonna do it. God, help us be resolute in it. God, help us stand in it. We as the church... We're defenders of the truth. But again, that's what we do, but that's not why we exist. So we're back at the question. So why does the church exist? Why does Calvary Baptist Church exist? Why do you exist as part of the church? Why does the church exist? We encourage, yes. We, we fellowship, yes. We pray. We, we guard the truth. That's what we do. But why do we exist? Why do we exist as the church? Friends, the truth that hasn't changed because it doesn't change is this. Listen very carefully. The church of the living God, the church of Jesus Christ, the church of the redeemed exists to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and in doing so, lead people to Jesus Christ, period. That's why we exist. We exist to present the gospel. We exist to lead people to Jesus Christ. That is our mission in the church. That's why Calvary Baptist Church exists. We're to present the gospel. We're to lead people to the throne to Jesus and salvation by faith in him. That's why we exist. Maybe we've gotten off track. Maybe we've forgotten that. That's why we exist. Let's look at some verses. Verse six. Verse six, understand. And I don't... I can't make heavy enough the context of what's happening here. Let me, let me try and explain the context of verse six. At this point, before we enter into verse six, at this point, Jesus has paid the price for our redemption, but he didn't pay it with coins. He paid it in his blood. At this point, Jesus has secured our salvation and he secured it as the sacrificial lamb of God. At this point, Jesus has taken our sin, my sin, your sin. Jesus has taken our sin. He has suffered its shame. He has bore it to the cross of Calvary, carrying it, bearing it, so we will no longer have to. Verse 7. 
At this point, he's been placed in a grave, dead, dead in a grave. At this point, he has walked physically out of that grave, signaling God's receipt of that payment, signaling victory over death. Death is forever defeated, signaling the defeat of Satan. In power, he has risen and he's crushed the serpent's head. And for 40 days, he has appeared, the Bible says, to many confirming his resurrection. And now at verse six, he is preparing to return to glory. Here in verse six, he's prepared to go back to the Father and go back to the glory of heaven. His, his work of salvation, it is finished. He's walked it out. It's finished. It's finished. Forever it's finished. He's ascended from the grave and he's about to ascend and go back to glory. And then here in verse six, we have the record of his last words here on earth his instructions for us, the church. Do you see the context of that? Do you see how heavy that is? With the work of salvation completed, with it secured in his own blood, about to ascend to glory, he gives his mission to the church. Verse six, here we go. So when they had come together, They were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time that you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? Verse six, they want to know, Lord, is it now that you will lead the revolt? Is it now that you will lead the resurgence of our nation? Is it now that you'll restore us to our greatness? Surely it is now. Surely it is now. Standing with the resurrected Lord. Surely it is now. They thought it was now. God had a different plan. Verse seven. He said to them, it is not for you to know the time or the epochs. Epochs means time periods or the periods. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. It's not for you to know those times, those time periods. The Father has fixed them by his own authority. Verse eight. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. Verse eight starts off and it says, but... In the Greek, it is a strong adversative conjunction. Now, what that means is it is a conjunction that signifies that something here is strongly opposed to. It means rather. You have this, but rather. Or it means on the other hand. On the other hand. On one hand, you have this, but on the other hand. And so Jesus says here, the Father will take care of that. Is it now? He says the Father's gonna take care of that, but on the other hand. Listen. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now this is talking about the promise of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, it's recorded in John 14, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. He says, 
when I leave, the Holy Spirit will come. He actually said, it is better for you that I leave and that you have, that you possess the Holy Spirit of God. And so here preparing to leave, he tells of the impact or the result of the coming of the Holy Spirit. He says, when I leave, the Holy Spirit's gonna come. When the Holy Spirit comes, here is the impact. Here is the result of the coming of the Holy Spirit. Stay with me. He says this. You will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes, you'll receive power. Power, the Greek word that it comes from, it's actual Greek word, dynamin. It is the word that we get dynamite from, dynamin. It comes from the Greek word dunamis. It means power exerted as a force. It, it is explosive power. Dunamis is explosive power. It actually means, it literally means this. Listen, an abundance of overpowering power. That's what the word means. Get, get, see if you can picture that. It's not power. It's not pop. It is an abundance of overpowering power. That's what it says. You will receive an abundance of overpowering power. This is the power. This is the dunamis. This is the power of God. Jesus says you will receive this power and the result will be you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even the remotest parts of the earth. You shall receive this power and you shall be my witnesses. Friends, from 80 years ago, here's the formula. When the power goes in, the result is the witness goes out. That is the promise of God. That is the truth of the gospel. When the power of God goes in, the witness of the gospel goes out. That's what that verse is telling us here. There's gonna be power when you receive that power. When the power comes, the witness is gonna go out. When the power goes in, the witness goes out. That is what happens. That's what God tells us. But listen, the best thing I said from eight years ago, I'm surprised I still remembered it, but it's ingrained in me. The best thing I said from eight years ago, if that is the formula, then this also holds true. It is like a garden hose. And over here you have the power and it's going in. And when the power goes in, the witness goes out. Do you remember this? When the power goes in, the witness goes out. And here is this garden hose. And, and, that, and that's the truth of it. But you take that hose and you begin to pinch it off. You begin to close it off. And do you see the formula here? When the, when the witness isn't going out, when the witness isn't going out any longer, when it's not going out, the power can't come in. Do you see that? The power comes in and the witness goes out. And when the witness goes out, the power comes in. Folks, a lot of things have changed in eight years, but some things haven't changed. Jesus is still our hope, the only hope for sinners. The gospel is still the power of God unto salvation. And listen to me, church. We will see the mighty power of God 
when we declare it at every turn. That hasn't changed. That hasn't changed. Oh, I want to be a part of a church like that. That's what I said that morning. I want to be a a part of a church that's alive. I want to be part of a church that sees the power of God. I want to see a church that they say there is a living God and he still saves and he's working in that church. When the witness goes out, the power goes in. So now what? Eight years later. So now what? Easter's coming. April 1st. My first sermon here as pastor was on Easter. Six years ago, we went to the Wilbarger, this Easter will be the sixth year, we went to the Wilbarger Auditorium for the first time. There's a picture of that. Can you show that? Look at that. Take the verse down if you can. We counted over 1,100 people on that Sunday morning. The auditorium folks had their cameras and they estimated it could have been as high as 1,400 people. They're looking in the windows in the back. On that Sunday morning, 11 eternities were changed. 11 people put their faith in Jesus Christ. Three weeks ago, two weeks ago, I had decided we wouldn't go back there this Easter. So we'd have two services here on that Easter Sunday morning. Things have changed. It would be a lot easier to have it here. We're set up better to have it here. Attendance is down. We're not filling up. People want to remind me, people, we're not filling up two services here anymore. Attendance is down. Why go? Why go to the auditorium? So I decided two weeks ago, we're not going to go. We're going to have two services here. Hear me. We always went to reach lost people. We always went because there's some people that'll go there that'll never come here. And we've seen it. There's some folks that'll go there that'll never come here. That's why we went there. We always went because Easter is the day that if they're ever gonna come to church, that's the day most likely they'll come to church. All the statistics say that. We always went there because we were gonna reach lost people. We always went there and we prayed God use us. God use this event. Dear God, fill it up and let us tell them about a risen Savior who lives and who saves. That's why we went to reach lost people. Listen to me. Nothing has changed. (laughs) April 1st at the Wilbarger Auditorium at 1030 in the morning, Calvary Baptist Church will hold Easter service to the glory of God to present the gospel of Jesus Christ and to reach 14,000 lost people living in Will Barger County. Next Sunday, there's going to be a booth in the foyer. And there's going to be plenty of places to get involved. We're going to need prayer teams. We're going to need people to set up. It's a lot of work. 
We ought to have a choir that's filled up. We ought to have a choir that's, that's, that's filled up up there. We, we're going to have greeters and ushers. We're going to mail out invitation cards. There's going to be business cards to pass out. Each of us is going to have to, each of us, we're going to have to invite folks and invite folks and invite folks. We need you. I need you. We're going to go and we're going to fill that place up. We're going to pray that God blesses it to the glory of the living God. It starts tonight. Tonight we're going to meet back here. We're going to sing and we're going to pray. And I'm going to preach on the second half of these verses. We're going to seek God's hand. I'm going to tell you it ought to be full tonight. And we're going to seek God's hand. Here we go for the glory of the living God. Listen to me. A lot of things have changed. Some things haven't. Jesus is still the Lord. The gospel is still the power of God and salvation. And we will see his power when we share his witness. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come today, I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for the truth of your word. I'm thankful for the grace, the kindness of salvation offered to sorry sinners such as us, such as I. I'm thankful that you're kind. I'm thankful that you're patient. I'm thankful that you haven't come yet, that there's some that might be saved today and this week and next Easter. I pray that we'll be faithful. I pray that we'll be obedient. I pray that we'll be refocused. And I pray, Lord, that you would move, that you would work. We take our hands and we open them up and we turn this over to you, Lord. We know if it weren't for the working of you that we're doomed. If we build a house and yet you're not the one building it, it's just gonna fall down. So we come, we seek your wisdom. We seek your guidance. We seek your help. We seek your strength. We seek your power. Many folks in the ministry of Calvary Baptist Church might be saved. Lord, I'll tell you this. We beg your forgiveness where we've been off track, each of us. We ask your forgiveness where we've been distracted, each of us. But I pray now that refocused and empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, we would see a mighty movement of God. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We worship you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.